You're listening to one of the sermons preached from Shalom Baptist Chapel, recorded at one of our worship services. Good morning, church. Uh, both of you, those of you here at Shalom, but also at Good News, it is good to be with you again. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was at Good News preaching uh, live stream here, and so now good to be back and see some of you face to face. And if you will, turn with me to James chapter 5. Uh, a lot of emotions for me just there during that uh, the, the worship time. Uh, I'm from America, and this week in American culture is a very meaningful holiday for me and for many people called Thanksgiving. And it's a day on Thursday where we set aside a whole day. For, for those who are not Christians, it's to eat food and watch American football. <laughs> for those who are Christians, it's to eat food, watch American football, and to praise God. Uh, but it is a special time. But as I was talking with my family yesterday, that uh, Thanksgiving is not a once-a-year thing. It is a constant thing, even through the dark tunnels that we were just hearing about. And that really is going to connect with what we're going to look at today in James chapter 5. So we're going through James, this letter written to the, the Jewish Christians scattered outside of Israel. And today, James is honing in on this idea of patience and endurance or being steadfast. So if you have your Bibles open, uh, it'll be on the screen, but I really invite you to look at, at a copy of the Word. Uh, this is not my ideas. This is from the Bible, which is true. And so let's read together from James chapter 5, beginning in verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Now, we live in a culture that does not value patience. Uh, we want media access at our fingertips. Um, if your computer takes five seconds to boot up and somebody else's takes three seconds to boot up, I mean, before long, this other computer company is going to be out of business. I mean, those extra two seconds, you know, they feel like they're life-changing, right? Um, we want others you know, to change and, and develop and, and grow you know, right now. What's ironic is, though, when it comes to our own growth and development and change, we say, you know, be patient with me. <laughs> so patience is not something that our, our modern culture values, but in the ancient cultures, when James was writing this, patience was highly valued. Uh, and people who were impatient were considered uh, shallow, uh, reckless. Uh, they, they missed opportunities. But patience is much more than just this practical issue of how quickly we want something done. Impatience, 
tells us something about our hearts. And if we're willing to open up our hearts to to let God in, we're going to see this morning from James 5 what patience is, why it's important, and how we get it. What it is, why it's important, and how we get it. So first of all, what it is. In these sets of, of verses, James 5, 7 through 12, James uses two different words for, and we can go ahead to the next slide there, two different words for uh, this idea of patience. And the first is in verses 7 and 8. And it's the word in Greek, macrothumia. And that word, you don't need to remember that, other than that it means long-suffering, to suffer long. Uh, James uses this illustration of the farmer. The farmer, we know, doesn't get immediate results. He plants, he has to wait for the rain, the, the early rains to get the, the, the seed into the ground, the later rains to bring in that fruit, and then finally, after that suffering long, he gets the results. And this word, macrothumia, long-suffering, usually, not always, usually connects to patients with other people. You know, you want other people to, to do something, to be something, to say something, to act in a certain way, but they're not. I think of this with uh, my children. So I have a daughter who just turned 13 years old, love her to death, but she is going through that, that phase where she's figuring out what it means to be a young lady. And as she does that, sometimes she does things that are completely immature, or she acts older than she really is and ends up disrespecting me. Now, how do I deal with my daughter when she does those things? Yes, it's wrong when my daughter responds with disrespect or, or immaturity, but it's, it's telling, it's revealing when I respond back to her impatiently, frustrated, equally immature in my response to her. And what's being, becoming clear here is this is an attitude of my heart. I'm looking at my daughter. You're looking at those around you, and you're saying, you're not developing. You're not maturing. You're not acting in a way that I think is right at the right time. You're not in line with my pace. You're not in line with my style. Or maybe, you know, the, the, the wife looks at the husband and says, well, you're not leading like I want you to lead in this way husband says, well, you're not taking care of the house like I want you to. There's so many ways that we can be impatient, not suffer long with other people. Now, this does not mean we can't express disapproval, that we cannot say, hey, something needs to change. But what's happening in our heart when that doesn't happen, what happens in our heart determines how we express our concern. So James helps us to understand what this idea of long-suffering is by by actually showing us the opposite. And what is the opposite of long-suffering? James uses this word grumbling. Grumbling literally means to complain in an intensive, excessive manner. Now, there's two ways we can see grumbling happening in in our lives or in the lives of those around us. Uh, First is the person who is completely calm on the outside. They just look perfectly in control, but on the inside, (laughs) they're thinking, what in the world? What are you thinking? Why are you doing this? Don't you understand? Why would you ever do something like that? That's what's happening inside their hearts, right? 
Or maybe for some of you, uh, internally, you're just seething, you're angry. And externally, you're also seething and you're angry, you're frustrated, and you express it out and you say what you're thinking and what you're feeling. And at the, the essence of grumbling, this idea of complaining excessively, is the idea that you've given up on this other person. You know, you're, you're detaching. I'm going to write you off, uh, at least in, in my heart, my mind. I'm saying, if you're going to act in this way, sorry, I'm done. I, you know, you've lost your chance with me. So James says, suffer long with those who are around you, not with a grumbling attitude. There's a second word that James uses in verse 10. He says, look at the prophets. It's an example of suffering and patience. And the word he uses there is macrothumia. Uh, actually, I, I wrote down the same word twice. It's not that. It's uh, hupa, hupamene. And what that means is to hyperstand. Uh, and here the focus is on, uh, on difficult circumstances uh, rather than with difficult people. And so the idea is, you know, God, what's happening well, why is this type of thing happening? Why this sickness? Why this financial struggle? Why this difficult relationship? It's something that feels like it is against you. If you think about this idea, you know, maybe you think of uh, in Southeast Asia, we have these you know, major storms, you know, the typhoons, more over in the Philippines and in Indonesia, but these just massive winds. And if you've ever been in those, you literally almost have to lean forward, you know, to walk through it so you don't get blown over. That's the idea, to stand into it. Now, you think of maybe a general and an army, and the general looks at his troops and he says, men, do not budge an inch. If you give at all, the enemy is going to win. That's the idea of hyper-stand. And so we, we feel sometimes as if all of these things that are coming are specifically against us. And we place ourselves at the center of it, right? You know, why is this happening to me? Why am I having this issue? Why, why me? Why me? My, why me? And this man named C.S. Lewis calls this the hell of eternal autobiography. Everything centers around me and my problems. Now, James doesn't say, well, just grin and bear it. It'll be okay. James says it is very okay to ask for change, to ask for change in others, to ask for change in our circumstances. Uh, you look at the Psalms. The Psalms are filled with David and the other psalmists crying out for God to act. But there's a warning here. Be careful about only asking for change in other people without also asking for change in yourself. Uh, about a year ago, there was this relationship that I had with somebody that I worked very closely with, and there just seemed to be always this recurring tension with this person. And so what I did is I created a prayer card uh, right here, and just on it, I wrote on there one phrase. I wrote their name, and then I said, God, why is there recurring conflict between me and this person? I did that back in January. It's now November. 
And my observation over these last 11 months is that tension that I felt has decreased dramatically, almost completely gone. Now, we can look at this in several ways. Has that person changed as a result of my prayer? Maybe so, probably so. But have I changed as a result of my prayer for that person? I think so. Because as I have prayed for that person, said, God, this is hard. I don't want to grumble, even though I did in the past. I don't want to grumble. This is hard. God, will you act? You know what God has done? He's taken that big thing that was so hard for me, and he's shrunk it down. So where I see it in perspective. And now, much more clearly, I see, wow, look at what God is doing in their lives. Uh, The beautiful things that I can praise God for. Uh, There's another author, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who, who said this. He says, I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble he causes me. That's for my daughter. That's for your coworker, your family member. When you are tempted to to not suffer long with them, or in a circumstance, when you are tempted to not hyperstand, take them to God. Take them to God in prayer. So we start to come to this definition, and we're not going to define patience. We're going to define it the other way. Let's define impatience. Impatience is demanding, and not just wanting, demanding something in my time frame and not God's. And again, it's important. It is okay for us to want something, right? Uh, Again, we see that all throughout Scripture. Make your requests known to God. The problem comes when we say, God, I want it now, and I want it in this way. I can desire for my kids to, to show respect, and I can require them to do that. But when they don't do it in my timing and my way, do I patiently guide them? Or do I respond just as sinfully with anger and frustration and, and telling them and yelling at them? When we're faced with challenging circumstances, oh my goodness, this last year and a half, with all the impact of COVID financially, emotionally, relationally, uh, so many different things, we can, we can groan, we can weep, cry out to God and say, God, know, what are you doing? Or we can say, not again. Why me, God? So where in your life, you individually right now, where is it that you are demanding, not just wanting, but demanding something in your time and not God's? Who is that person? What is that circumstance? I think the temptation for, for most of us is to think, you know, impatience, you know, sure, it's not great, uh, but it's also not that bad, you know, in the spectrum of things. You know, up here you've got adultery, you've got murder, way down here you've got impatience. Well, what does James say? James uh, says it's more important than, than we think it is. And this is where we see why it's important. Look at verse 9. James says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So two times in this one verse, impatience is connected with significant consequence. Uh, And in verse 8, he says, be patient because of the coming of the Lord is at hand. And also back in verse 7, he talks about the coming of the Lord. So the point is this. 
Impatience is not something that we can just set aside. James and God think impatience is a very significant issue, and therefore we should as well. So when you are daily faced with challenging people or challenging circumstances, what do you do? I think there's two general ways that we can respond to those challenging people, challenging circumstances. Uh, The first is to trust God. Say, God, I I don't understand. I don't like this. Uh, I wish it were different, but I know you're in control. Not only do I know you're in control, I know you're good, and so you're going to do the right thing at the right time. The other option is to trust ourselves. And, and there's two ways that we can do this. So, so generally, you know, we don't talk to ourselves and say, I'm going to trust myself. <laughs> We're too, you know, we, we, we know enough about the Bible to not do that, right? So how do we do this? There, there's two ways. We either do it with the complaining way, you know, not again, why me, this isn't fair, you know, you see that person, ugh, I got to deal with them again. That's the complaining side. Or on the other side of trusting self is the controlling side. You know, I've got to take care of this. You know, if I don't tell them like it is, well, then who will? If I don't take control, who will? Back in 1 Samuel chapter 13, uh, Saul, king of Israel, uh, he was told to wait for Samuel to come. Wait for seven days for Samuel to come in order to make a sacrifice. Well, Samuel doesn't show up. And the people start to scatter. Saul panics. He knows that he is not authorized to offer the sacrifice, but that, that pressure, that internal pressure. He says, you know, the people are scattering. Uh, they need me to lead. You know, if I don't do this, who will? So what's he do? He goes against God's plan and he makes that sacrifice. Saul did what he knew he shouldn't have done in order to get what he thinks he needs. And that's so important. We we so like to do, not like to, but we tend to do what we know we shouldn't do in order to get what we think we need at that time in that way. Saul did not hyperstand in that circumstance. He didn't stand against those internal pressures, those external pressures. He didn't trust God's timing. He took matters into his own hands. The result was the kingdom was taken away from him. And compare that with Joseph. Genesis chapter 40, 41. Joseph is unjustly put into prison by Potiphar. He's there for a time. Uh, he interprets the dreams of the, the, the cupbearer and the baker. And the baker, uh, the cupbearer goes out and Joseph says, please remember me. Well, does he remember him? No. <laughs> the first verse of chapter 41, it says, a whole two years later. So, so Joseph is stuck in a prison unjustly for two more years. Not just because of Potiphar's unjust punishment, but because this guy just simply didn't remember. Now, Joseph, you know, in one sense, couldn't take matters into his own hands. He was stuck in a prison. But... What was happening in Joseph's heart during those two years? What would have been happening in your heart if you had been mistreated like that, forgotten? Maybe bitterness, uh, revenge. I mean, thinking about every way you're going to get that cupbearer back when you get out. But how do we find Joseph on the other side? 
It's full of forgiveness. Full of forgiveness. So all of these things coming together, we see that patience and steadfast is a matter of the heart. It is first a matter of the heart. We'll go to that next slide there. James says in verse 8, establish your hearts. You know, the solution isn't just bucking it up, saying, you know, whenever somebody does something, I'll count to 10. What is happening in my heart that is making me impatient? What is it that I, I love so much? Maybe I love my schedule. I love my, my pleasure, my control over the situation. I love you fill in the blank. What is it that you love so much that you're willing to get frustrated and angry and take control in a negative way, take matters into your own hands when God has made it clear that that's not what he wants? These aren't easy questions to answer because they reveal what's really in our hearts, but they're so, so important. And this leads us to number three. How do we get patience? It's not just getting a new book. It's looking into our hearts. So how do we get it? The answer is something we don't want to hear because it flies in the face of our desire for impatience, and that is meditate. Meditation takes time, which again, we don't want to give. In Psalm 77, we're not actually going to look at that text together, but the psalmist starts off and he's just listing his troubles. God, this is hard. Where are you? What are you doing? And listen to what he says in verse 6. He says, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. He goes on, and then in verse 10 he says, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm not denying the reality of my situation. But now I'm going to go back and remind myself of what is true about the Most High. I'm going to connect my situation to God. See, meditation, oftentimes we think of it in this way that it's, you know, this emptying of our minds. And actually, biblical meditation is the exact opposite. Biblical meditation is filling our minds with truth. Uh, one author has said it's, it's thinking a truth in and thinking a truth out until it becomes big and sweet and changes our hearts. And I think the key word in that phrase is until. You know, I can, I can think about a biblical truth for about three seconds, so then I go on to my next thing. <laughs> but what, what do we need to do? We need to think about it in, think about it out, connect it here, see it from the Bible there until, until it becomes sweet. And friends, that doesn't always happen every single day in your, in your morning Bible time. Sometimes that takes weeks, weeks and months of reviewing, meditating, Memorizing until finally we see the beauty of God in that text. So what do we meditate on? How? How do we do this to help us with impatience? James gives us some clues. The first thing James says is, look back. Look back. In verse 10, he says, look back at the prophets. Look back at Job. So what did Job and the prophets do? They thought about a truth of God in relationship to their circumstances. 
the Psalms again, a lot of times as you read the Psalms, there, there's like this conversation that the psalmist is having, sometimes with God, sometimes with others, but sometimes with himself. Have you ever noticed that? And it's like he's saying, self, this is what you're experiencing. It's real. Uh, this is how it feels. This, this is what hurts. This is what I want. I want resolution. But then he talks to himself again, and he says, self, this is what's true about God. Look at how he dealt with this situation in a previous time in Scripture. In this other case, look at what he says about himself in, in John chapter 15 or in the Psalms. Look at what's true about God. Yes, your feelings are real, but God, this is what is never changing. Too often we, we listen to ourselves, but we don't talk to ourselves about God. We listen to what our hearts tell us, and unfortunately our hearts are just so shaped by what we're hearing around us in the world. And that's why James says, establish your hearts. Reconnect your heart to what is true about God's faithfulness, about his love, about what he has done for you. So ultimately, I don't think James is saying, look at the prophets, look at Job, and copy exactly what they did. I don't think that's what James is saying, because honestly, the prophets and Job did a lot of things wrong. James us wants us not so much to focus on Job and the prophets, but on what God did in their circumstances. To see how God came to their aid, how, how God waited intentionally, how he provided, how he loved. And so J James says, don't just look at Job, look at the ultimate Job. Don't just look at the prophets, look at the ultimate prophet. And who is that? It, it's Jesus. See, Jesus was the only person who ever had to be patient, who ever suffered and was perfectly innocent. I mean, Jesus deserved a, a perfect life. God come down to earth, and yet he had a horrible life. Uh, he was poor, often homeless, uh, betrayed, denied, abandoned. I mean, look at the people in Jesus' life that he had to suffer along with. Uh, Peter and this hot-headed fisherman, you know, cutting off a guy's ear here, saying just really odd stuff over here. Uh, Thomas, this epic skeptic, uh, James and John calling down fire from heaven, and, and, and Jesus, he looks on them with compassion. He, he lovingly corrected and directed and guided them. And the result is these men, they became the key pillars of the church. Uh, they recorded key parts of Scripture for us. What about Jesus' circumstances? You know, we have hard things to face, real hard things. But none of us have had to face what Jesus did. You know, when Jesus was in the garden, he knew what was coming just a few hours later on. He cried out to God. He said, God, will you let this cup pass for me? And God essentially says, no, this is the way it has to be in this way, in this timing. And in the face of all of God's wrath for nothing Jesus had done, all of God's wrath for your sin and for my sin, what did Jesus do? He didn't budge. He, he hyper stood against all of that judgment. 
Jesus Christ, through his perfect patience as, as a human being on earth, through his perfect hyper-seeing on the cross, his patient endurance, he atoned for our impatience. He paid the price for your impatience, your grumbling, your giving in, your control. Jesus paid the price of that. And, and what's the result? Now the Father looks at you and can be completely patient with you right now. I mean, who of us is perfect now? Are there things in your life that you know, you're not quite yet there? Obviously, yes. And so what do we need? We need others to be patient with us. We want God to be patient with us. Are there still situations where you are impatient with those around you? Yeah. And so, so if those are true, what is keeping God from just judging us for this sin? If you're here or if you're listening and you're not a Christian, it's really important for you to understand that one act of impatience, one frustration, however small it might be, is enough to merit the full wrath of God for your sin. Why? That doesn't say that, oh, impatience is so bad necessarily. It says your God is so holy that even the smallest sin, if you are guilty of one, you're considered guilty of all. Sin is a serious thing, even impatience. But if you're a Christian, then Jesus took every drop of God's wrath for your impatience when you sin, when you fail. Every single drop of it. So now God says, I'm not going to give up on you. But when you continue failing, I'm not giving up on you. I'm not going to turn my back on you. I turn my back on my son, Jesus, so that I'll never have to turn it on you. Even when you fail, I'm going to take that next step with you. Why? Because when you trust in Jesus, what happens? Paul says, you, you have died to your old self, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so when God looks at you, he doesn't see that, that horrible person that you used to be. What does he see? He sees Christ, his son. And he looks at you and he says, even with all of your imperfections, you are my beloved son, my beloved daughter, and I'm well pleased with you. When was the last time you stopped to think about that? The extent of God's patience to you right now. If you're not a Christian and you're hearing this, that itself is a demonstration of God's patience with you. You have one more time you're hearing about the love of God in Christ. God says, come. Turn away from your, your self-righteousness saying, I can do this on my own. And say, no, it's only Jesus. Jesus is the only way that I can have a right relationship with God. But if you're a Christian, to, to the degree that you understand and regularly experience God's patience with you, his never giving up patience towards you, then you're going to be filled up with a heart of patience towards others. If you know how patient God is with you in your daily shortcomings, then when others fail, yes, you may correct, you may guide. Oh, you know God's love for you is patience, and it's going to flow out of you to others. To the degree that you see how Jesus hyper stood to receive God's wrath for your sin, when you face your dark tunnels, your struggles, you're going to cry out and say, God, let this cup pass from me. 
But even if it doesn't, I trust you. I trust you. So James says, look back. But he also says, look forward. Look at verse 8. He says, the coming of the Lord is at hand. James wants, wanted his listeners, his readers, and he wants you and me to realize that the best is yet to come. This is not the final story for those who are in Christ. When Christ comes back, every wrong will be made right. Uh, there's a, a song that says, everything sad will come untrue. Our tears will be wiped away. You look at Joseph. His family was restored. Blessings in Egypt. Job, twice as much was restored to him. But that does leave us with a, a kind of a hard question to answer. What about those who are patient and don't have that blessing here on earth? That don't have that resolution in this lifetime? You think about all the people who are martyred. Psalm 25.3, David says, Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. That word shame there means disappointed. When you trust in God, His timing, His path, He will never disappoint you. Now, make it clear, He will often do something very different than what you expected, but He will never disappoint you. I, I shared a little bit with, uh, at least with Shalom back in February, but uh, we have four children. Our first daughter was born with a very severe heart defect, multiple open heart surgeries. So after that, we prayed and said, God, would you give us healthy children? And he did. Our second and our third boy were very healthy. And so maybe we forgot to pray for the fourth one, but our fourth child was born also with a heart issue and, and uh, an intellectual disability. Does that mean that, oh man, you know, God wasn't faithful? No, no. Because behind that frowning providence, we're going to sing about that in a minute, God has hidden a smile for us. In those dark tunnels that you are now facing, you might not see the light at the end, but God is with you. He was with every one of those martyrs, everyone who didn't see the end come out just like they wanted it. Hebrews chapter, chapter, Hebrews chapter 11. These all died, all these faith heroes, in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Friends, the best is yet to come. Yes, pray that God will give resolution now. But how do you know? How do you know that God is going to come through, either now or the day of the Lord. I think a common question is, can I trust Jesus? We might not, again, say that verbally because it's so harsh, but maybe we should. We should ask that out loud. There's a Christian lady named Joni Erickson Tata. She was 17 years old. She went diving in the ocean, paralyzed from the neck down for 50 years now. And of all people who could have said, I'm going to grumble at people who can do things that I wanted to do or grumble at God. She says this, Jesus is worth trusting, period. End of argument. After all, when they hang you on a cross like meat on a hook, you have the final word on suffering. 
Friends, if Jesus hyperstood on the cross for you, you can trust that he will always do the right thing. Three questions for you as we close today. Number one, where are you vulnerable so that it's hard to long suffer with difficult people or to hyper stand with difficult circumstances? And this is going to be different for each one of us. And I invite you, don't think abstractly. Who is that person? Name them in your heart right now. Name that situation, that dark tunnel. and Say, God, this is hard. And I don't know exactly what to do. Number two, who do you need to repent to for your grumbling, your impatience, for taking things into your own hands? And again, this could be a a direct person that you have sinned against by your responses. It could be God or both. And then number three, what is God inviting you to think in and think out until it becomes big and sweet so that you not only know God's patience towards you, but you experience it afresh. And I invite you, friends, do this today. Uh, It's easy to say, I'm going to do this tomorrow morning. You know what? Tomorrow morning comes and it's really hard. (laughs) Go home this afternoon and when you would normally check this or turn that on, take five minutes. Review what you've learned today from God's Word. In a moment, we're going to sing or at least listen to a a very old hymn by William Cooper called God Moves in a Mysterious Way. And as we worship God through this song, I invite you to take your requests, your, your needs for patience in being steadfast to God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are supremely patient with us through Christ's blood. Oh God, help us to experience that afresh right now so that then through us we can demonstrate patience and steadfastness in our particular circumstances. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.